This is Utah Survivors Podcast with your host, Brandon and Alex. In the world of true crime TV, we're bringing you the story straight from the survivors. Victims don't become survivors without the help of a community. So every week, we will have a 30-minute interview alternating between a survivor of crime and an organization that helps victims in similar situations. Due to the graphic nature of crime, many of the topics we discuss may be difficult for some listeners. If you are in crisis or triggered by these discussions, please reach out to local and national hotlines listed on our website, utahsurvivors.org. Welcome to another episode of Utah Survivors. This week on the show, we have Wendy Jessen, who is a victim advocate with the Iron County and Cedar City Police Department. Welcome to the show, Wendy. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Alrighty. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your history, and how you got involved in your position, and then we'll get a little bit more into why you are here. Um, so I um, and I'm a mother of six. I've been married for about 20 years, um, almost 21. And um, so I was uh, victimized as a child, which which we'll get into later. But um, it's a huge passion of mine to help other survivors, um, specifically of sexual abuse and, and those kind of things. But it also, you know, I think that extends into other other victimizations as well. And so... I played for that job and I've been doing this for about a year and a half. It's, we're a pretty new program. Um, I think it was in place almost a year before I start joined. And that's, that's about it. That's awesome. So you have six children. What are their ages? <laughs> um, let's see, nine, 11, uh, 14, 15, 17, and 19. So, sorry, that was a lot to think about. So That's okay. I 10 have, years. Yeah. I have one kid and I can barely remember he's seven. <laughs> it's, it's tricky sometimes, but it's great because they usually go about every other year, except I had one, the 14 year old turned. So otherwise, you know, it'd be 9, 11, 13, 15, 17, 19. But then she threw Oh, nice. <laughs> My mom was the same though. She had six kids in 10 years. So I, I, uh, I understand what your children are going through. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those things where I'm like, I wouldn't recommend this to other people, but I also wouldn't change it. So I don't know what that says about me, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, do you love your kids, right? (laughs) They're the best. They're really good humans. How did you get started in your role as a victim advocate? Um, so when I, so initially the person that is our coordinator, um, I knew her, she's probably about 15 years younger than me or so. She used to baby my, babysit my kids. So I was friends with her on Facebook and saw that that was something that she was now doing in, in for her job. And I thought, that is really cool. I would love to do that. So then when I found out that they were hiring another victim advocate um, in Iron County, I totally jumped on that um, and was super excited um, when they decided to hire me. Um, So, because it's just, I think 
having someone there, I mean, you know, the police come in, they do their thing, they take care of the perpetrator, you know, they take the report, and then the victim is often left like, okay, well, now what? And it's not because the officers don't care, but they just don't have the time to, I don't know, help, like, lead them through the process. And and after what where it goes from report to to court, um, it's nice to have someone there to help people through that portion as well. Yeah, I totally understand that. And that's what I love about the job too. Um, so you mentioned earlier that you are a survivor of child abuse, correct? Yes. Um, so when I, well, I'm not sure where to start this story. So I'm going to start in a really weird spot. Um, so when I was, that's okay. It's your story. You tell us what you want to tell us. Um, so in December of 2013, so about seven ish years ago, um, the house that I grew up in as a child, um, burned down. And when I looked at that, I mean, you obviously see destruction from fire, but I was just starting to feel like all this inner turmoil and just kind of feeling like dark feelings, bad feelings, all the stuff. And it just started stirring up memories and things from my past. And so things kind of came to a head about the beginning of January of 2014. And I started remembering that there were some things in my childhood that had happened. And at that point, um, well, at first I thought I'll look for a book. And for me, I wanted one from uh, an LDS perspective because that's, that's where I was at my, in my point. I wanted, how does this relate? How does this relate in a religious type of way? And I couldn't find one. So that was kind of frustrating. And then um, I don't remember what led me to think to ask um, my bishop for help, but my I actually had my husband do it because I was being a wuss at the time. And so I found out that there was going to be like a sexual abuse um, like support group or a, oh, what is it called? Therapy group starting like that very next week through LDS campus. Yeah. Oh, that's like, it was really great. That's like perfect timing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was like, great. So I dove into that and um, it was a really good experience. It's about a 14 week program, if I'm remembering correctly. And they, it was very educational and I started to understand more about kind of what happened to me. Like it, it started giving me that space, I guess, because you just, you don't want to think about what happened to you, right? You just want to push it away. You want to ignore it, pretend it doesn't exist. And then, um, so it just gave me that space to be able to sink down into that part of my life and begin to heal from that. And the education there was was great because I really understood, oh, that's why I, you know, somebody could say something negative to me and I just would spiral down 
like to a worse place. Like I'm a terrible mom. I'm a terrible wife. Um, I'm not good at anything. Why am I here? You know, it was just a very negative situation for me. And I just thought, you know, I had depression or, or, or whatever. And I, I even remember thinking, um, in the past, like, what is wrong with me? Why am I like this? Um, I don't know if this is normal kind of thing. Cause I didn't really acknowledge, um, that I had been sexually abused in the past. So you, how old, so your family house burnt down and that's when all these memories started coming back. Yes. So at that, that time, I was is... like, done, done, done. We talked like, this is pain in the butt. Um, go ahead. Tell me what you're going to say. <laughs> so at that point I was 34, I think <laughs> years old when that, ha- when the house burned down and then that just, that's what, when I started that whole process. What was it like starting to remember these things from your childhood that really no one really wants to have experienced and they're horrible and for you to then have them come back at 34 and have to start healing at that point? What was that like? It feels like being turned inside out. Um, it feels like your whole life that you've created, you know, despite everything is a lie. It, it was horrifying. And, and some of it I knew, I mean, initially, so one of my abusers was my uncle and, you know, I had kind of just known that he had like touched me, but I didn't allow myself to think anything beyond that. Um, I guess, which at the time, I think that's probably all I could deal with at the time. But then starting, there were some other things that started coming up and I thought, no, no, that, you know, that couldn't have happened. Um, I ended up starting um, after that therapy. So my highs were higher, but then my lows were lower and my suicidal thoughts had increased And I was just kind of starting to panic because I remember being at home and, you know, my husband had like a, like pocket knife or something. And I remember holding that like at my wrist and I had one kid child still at home during that time. And I was like, what am I doing? I can't, I can't do this Um, alone. I'm not okay still. Um, And of course, you know, you're thinking, why can't I just heal? Why can't I just be done? I just did this therapy, you know, which was hard because, you know, there's stigmas, whether we like it or not. And I think some of those are starting to go away, but there's stigmas around therapy. And I just thought, I'm going to go into this room with these other women and they're all going to look like how I feel on the inside, but they all look normal, like normal people. Yeah, Yeah. I can totally imagine that. Um, so then I, a friend had told me about this therapy and and it's, uh, you guys probably know it's EMDR. So that stands for the EMDR. Yes. Love EMDR. And at that point, um, we started slowly delving more deep as my brain and body and whatever would allow. 
me to do that. And then that's when I started to realize, okay, the abuse was worse than I thought. Um, and so basically I'll just, I'll just tell you, I started to, I kept having feelings like earlier on in the first bout of therapy that, um, my uncle had actually raped me. And at that time I was, would have been three. And I kept thinking, no, I was too little. Like that wouldn't, that couldn't possibly have happened. Like there would have been like, you know, physical damage. There would have been all these things. I would have been having all these problems. Somebody would have known. Um, mm-hmm. And after about, I don't know how many times I had had that impression. I finally just let it sit. And I did a, you know, one of those weird Google searches. Like if you, if a three-year-old was raped, you know, would there be damage? And the answer was basically not necessarily. And yeah, which is which is crazy to think about. Right. And so at that point, I just sat there and sobbed, just feeling mm-hmm. like, um, how could somebody do this? And why did nobody do something in the aftermath to help me? Yeah. And um, that's a that's heavy. That is really heavy. Like to go from physically holding a knife to your wrist and being and realizing I'm still not better, even though this group was supposed to fix me. And then having these memories come back that are so horrific. Yeah. And I have like snapshot memories. I think one of the most frustrating things is, you know, when you're three, you don't have enough memory, I guess, to hold to hold any of that. And so yeah. I don't have full recollections. I have these snapshots um, that that have come to me that are like weird, um, you know, of like a tiny, tiny toddler hand as if I'm looking out of my own eyes, um, touching his private part. You know what I mean? I'm like, I don't think oh. I would just make that, make that up. Um, no kids I don't think kids are capable of making that up no and for that to come to me as an adult I was just like you you run through all these emotions you're angry you're you're hurting you feel abandoned you feel alone um because initially the reason I knew that something had happened is because I told my mom um that my uncle had touched my pussy cat was the word um, which I hate that word now. I like, <laughs> um, so I, so, so then you're feeling like this abandonment because, well, if I told my mom, like, that's what I should have done. Right. Why didn't yeah, exactly. do anything about it? I'm like, did you, I mean, I confronted her about it a little bit and said, you know, did you check over my body? Did you ask any other questions? Cause I'm trying to piece this together. Um, and then, and that wasn't like the only thing that happened. My house was kind of dysfunctional, I guess. Um, there was physical abuse. There was a lot of yelling. There was a lot of, um, like low key hoarding, I guess. Um, I didn't have friends over. Mm -hmm. And then my brother, my older brother also sexually abused me as a kid. Um, 
my best guess is I was like 10 or 11 because it was when skorts were really cool. <laughs> Those big short things. And I remember that I was wearing that during one of the incidences. And, and I remember I, skorts. <laughs> they were pretty weird. I don't know if I would ever want to go back to those, but. I, well, I mean, all the other fashions coming back. I mean, I it's destined in our lifetime. Sometimes I just shake my head. Nope, <laughs> I'm not going to that. Um, and then again, you know, that was another instance where my mom knew that something had happened and she didn't do anything again. And so when you said you confronted your mom, what did she say? She just, not really. She just, not really anything, just kind of like, well, you just told me this. And I'm like, well, did it anybody ask him? Like, did anybody? And she said, no. And she said, you know, at the time she wasn't, um, she didn't have like a good relationship with her in-laws. So I'm sure there was some of that. Um, I can't remember, but I think she said she had told my dad cause it was his brother. Um, who he, when I was three, he was 28. So he should have, you know, known better, I guess. Um, all pedophiles should know better, but here we are. Um, I know I was going to say, heaven forbid they actually not do, not touch children. I know, weird. (laughs) So it's been a very, like, frustrating thing. And, and I don't really have a working relationship with my family um, right now as a result. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Why? And I mean, like, if you want, if you want to take that religious perspective of, well, you should forgive, you should just let it go and all of these things, I, I feel like I've worked through a lot of that. And, but forgiveness doesn't mean that you let people back in your life who can hurt you again. That means you have, I think that's, yeah, I think that statement is very powerful. Like you can forgive because you don't need to carry that hate in your heart, but that doesn't mean that they get to be a part of this beautiful life you created. Yes. And if somebody's making you feel not safe and they haven't realized, you know, their role in the situation, even if they weren't the abuser, um, if you were enabling it or didn't help, you know, that healing or, or anything, especially for a small child um, who can't do any, any of that on their own. Um, yeah. That's a huge problem. And I've spent probably more of my therapy time on dealing with that abandonment and that lack of support than I have the actual abuse. And that's yeah. interesting to me because me being the an advocate that I have been for, oh gosh, I'm old, nine years. Um, I like when I have cases where one parent is enabling the abuse or one parent is taking the side of the perpetrator. It irks me on a whole new level. And I'm saying yes. irk because I will get in trouble if I sit where Brandon will yell at me, <laughs> but it just, it hits me at a level that I cannot physically and even try to understand. Like I'm a mom, you're a mom. Yep. Anyone comes near my baby. And I know he's not a baby, but he'll always be my baby. But yep. anyone comes near him, 
and crap is going down. Yes. Like call the police and give them a head start. I'm heading over to this house. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it would be over. Yes. So yeah. the protecting- I'm like, you better drive fast. You better drive fast. <laughs> this is self-defense for my child. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would fully, I, yeah, it's one of those things that I just, I can't comprehend. I don't understand. Um, despite, and maybe that's just because my husband uh, accuses me of um, not connecting to things. Like I, like I don't care about like, I don't know, like high school mascots or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, I don't either. I just, I don't care. And so if I need to sever a relationship, like I will, like I just, I don't have time for that in my life. But I, I also think that's healthier than a lot of people because a lot of people hold on to relationships because of guilt or because of shame mm-hmm. or because it's quote unquote their family. And I think it's more healthy to realize that you have a family, you have a husband, you have six children yeah, and that's who you need to protect. You don't, you know what I mean? Like that's where your priorities For sure. are. And it's sad because, you know, I watch, you know, some people I know who still want to remain with their close with their families. And they get re-hurt. Um, and and that's, I think it's just so awful to do that. And so you try to support them and you get it. I mean, there's societal norms and, and whatever. Like you need to care for your family. and um, But sometimes you have to be able to put yourself first. And that's, I don't think that's being selfish. If I, if I don't do that to a degree, I can't function as a mom, as a wife, as a friend. It, it just, there's nothing to draw from yourself if yeah. you don't take care of yourself. It's true. And how was it like, how was it letting go of those relationships? And also how has it been? Cause I feel like healing is a lifelong process, but how has it been working on healing that betrayal from your mother? It's tricky. Um, a lot of my family, I don't talk to here and there. There's a few that I, I will, but I'm pretty guarded, I guess now. Um, but I try to what, I guess, offer grace and say, well, you know, I don't know exactly what led her to be in that point where she's at, or I don't know what happened to her that, you know, this is why she lives in denial or won't acknowledge, you know, and take steps to make things better. I, so I just try to think of that, but as my therapist said, you know, (laughs) as, as you're doing that, that's fine, but that doesn't mean that three-year-old Wendy and 11-year-old Wendy didn't need and deserve to have a parent who helped helped you to find healing or stood up for you or protected you. Um, instead of, you know, like we still went on like a family trip with, with this uncle. We stayed at his house. And there's all these things that I, I would be like, never, never we, would we be doing that. Like even when we would get together, I would, my eyes, before I even was fully acknowledging anything, I didn't want my kids to be alone with certain individuals ever. So 
So I was always trying to keep mm-hmm. line of sight. Where are my kids? To just make sure that they're safe and protected. And so you have that instinct to protect your children. Like you have this awareness, subcon, like this gut. I call it like it is your gut. Like you knew this what certain people weren't safe. Oh yeah, for sure. And like how? So my whole thing is. I try to think of like me as if I was my mom on certain things or like a mom. How was that feeling this like control, like not control, but like loving protective feelings of your children and realizing you didn't have that? Well, it was super interesting because um, when I first started therapy, my youngest was two and she turned three, like right after. So she was right at that age because I was like barely three when this would have happened or just before I turned three. And because there's Mm -hmm. a lot of self blame that happens and because of the nature of what was going on in my house, along with the abuse. And then as a child, you try to normalize some of this, or you're trying to make sense of things, you know, like I had way more sexual knowledge than I should have. And so yeah. I had a lot of self-blame, shame, like self-hating, all of these things. And so I had to sit and look at all of my kids at those ages that I was when, when most of the abuse and all those things were going on, because my oldest would have been 12. And I thought, if what had happened to me was going on with my kids, would I blame them for what happened? And I had to think, absolutely not. Because I'm here sitting here, like judging myself through adult eyes. But for my stuff that happened when I was a child, and I thought this is ridiculous. There is no way. So it was very helpful to me that I had all of these kids at all of these various ages that just lined up with what I was dealing with in therapy. I think that that's a beautiful way to work through the shame on like your self shame and self blaming. Um, because you could literally see these innocent little people around you and say they wouldn't have done anything wrong. And I was just the same. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I um, noticed, Oh, go ahead. Can I, Oh no, you're good. I just noticed you say, if this would have happened, you keep saying that because And I'm curious, is that like a justification in your head of like, I'm still remembering things or is that a way to help you kind of cope with the reality that you've started to remember? I think the reality of it, you know, and I'm, I, it's funny. I had, I've had to talk to people like um, some of my favorite teachers and things just to ask them you know, what they remember about me, like in high school, Um, because I just kind of painted over my childhood with, you know, I knew things weren't like super perfect, but I think I made them in my mind better than they were. And so when I've had these conversations with others who remember certain things about me, I'm like, what? Like, I don't recall this, but I, I mean, I remember being overly stressed out as a, as a kid, I was a perfectionist. If I got in trouble at school, I would just crumple. Like I would bawl and cry and just have like, like severe reactions to like something that's not a big deal. 
Um, so the perfectionism, I mean, I, one of the things I learned like with sexual abuse is like one of the, you know, symptoms is like extreme perfectionism or, um, or the opposite. You can go the opposite way or you can swing back and forth in between. And that, that was really interesting to learn as well, just as, I don't know, as, as you start to realize that the, that being sexually abused impacts like every aspect of your life, which makes me mad because I mean, there's so many things like even like your marital relationship and, um, friendships and like being able to trust, um, and letting yourself love and be loved because I, I think that I try to push away, um, like letting people love me because I'm afraid on some level of still getting hurt or, um, being abandoned by people that I care about again. Yeah. I think that in that perspective kind of made me go, Oh, that's so true. But the anger that comes along with someone's choices to harm you and someone's choices to abandon you affecting your entire life for the, like in ways that you never wanted your life to be affected. Yeah. It sucks. Like, Yeah. It does suck. It's not fair, but it really, it's true. Like when you become a victim of a crime, no matter how many times you like you heal from it, you grow, you learn, but it's always a part of your story and it's always going to affect how things go. You work so hard and you know, I've, I've realized you think, Oh, well I went to therapy. I mean, I went, so I went, did my initial first therapy. Then I did EMDR. Then I thought I was done. Then I came back and did some more EMDR. Um, I went on a survivor retreat, like through the unique foundation. And it was just every little thing that I've done has been a piece of something that I've needed. Um, and you know, one of the things I felt like I should do is, is write a book about this because I thought the book I wanted wasn't there. So, um, I guess I have to write it. It wasn't something I wanted to do initially because I thought, well, I'm not a therapist. I'm just, you know, a person. I don't know enough about anything to, to do that. So I slowly worked on that. And then um, about a year ago, I, you know, through my job as a victim advocate, I started to realize, you know, maybe I don't have all the pieces because I thought, well, I have no evidence. I can't prove this. How can I report this to police? Right. Because there's, I have nothing like, and it happened a long time ago and the memories I do have are pretty limited. Um, and so I started to think, you know, if, if I just had one person who would corroborate what happened, like my uncle's kind of old now. Like I thought maybe he'll fess up, maybe get it off his chest and feel better about it. Um, so I ended up reporting it. Now this, this abuse all happened in, um, Phoenix, Arizona, where I grew up and they luckily do not have a statute of limitations on child sexual abuse, which. Oh, good. That's good. Like ours here. Yes. Didn't, did we change in Utah? Cause I feel like it's until you're 28. It's kind of odd on that. 
so it parts of the law were struck down but from when the bill was passed there is no statute now oh hallelujah good yeah so there wasn't there wasn't that um statute of limitations so i decided to report it um valentine's day last year i ended up going oh. to the washington county sheriff's um or a county attorney's office to do a forensic interview because I work with everybody here in Iron County. So we had to separate that out, um, which was a fascinating experience doing that report because you kind of talk about, you know, what you know happened. And then the woman doing the interview would ask things about, well, tell me what you remember about smell. Tell me what you remember about um, sound or about the place where you were or taste. And taste was the weirdest one for me because she asked that and instantly, I don't know if this is TMI, so you can edit it out if you want. But when she said taste, suddenly I could like feel like chest hairs on my mouth. And that kind of shook me because it was more like confirmation of what had happened. Because you would think taste, well, you know, was I drinking something or eating something or, or whatever? But when she said that, I associated that right with my, my mouth and feeling. That's way interesting because we know with trauma that you remember things with the senses. And it sounds like, I actually think I know who did your interview and she's amazing. And to like trigger those memories Mm -hmm. to me is like so strong proof of what happened because it shows that it was a traumatic event. It shows that it was member. It was remembered in the senses and that's all that's powerful in your journey of validating what's happened to you, yeah. learning what's happened to you. And I can't believe you reported like that's a bad. A <laughs> I'm trying really hard. Not to swear. <laughs> My favorite word. Don't tell. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, oh, I tell all the time. <laughs> Um, yeah. And well, and I, not that it's a hypocritical to not report, but to me, like, I just kept feeling like here I am in this job as a victim advocate. I'm sort I'm supporting people as they're making reports and all of this. And then I'm like, oh, well, I haven't done that. You know what I mean? But when I just thought, well, what if my mom could corroborate or my dad or my uncle, like somebody just say something. Um, unfortunately, when it got to that point, um, my mom never returned, like the, the detective had called and left a message. He had stopped by the house with a um, business card and left it. He sent a postcard and she never got back to him. So I'm like, okay, thanks. And he contacted my dad. And he said something to the effect of like, well, I knew this, you know, a few years after it had happened, why is this being reported now? And was concerned that his brother was going to get in trouble because the detective was trying to get the phone number for my uncle. And so he reluctantly gave it to him. Basically, the detective said, well, either you can give it to me or I will send a uniformed officer to his house because he lives up in Northern Utah. And so when he talked to my uncle, he just denied it. Um, 
instead, you know, basically had a traumatic brain injury in 1987 or something and couldn't, couldn't remember anything. And I thought, oh, oh so he doesn't remember, he doesn't remember his entire life. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm like, okay. And then, um, that's BS. Yes. Yes. I, I was pretty upset about that. And then, um, so the detective had asked him, well, why do you think Wendy would say something like this? And his answer was because she hates me and her dad. And I just kind of like, you know, first of all, there's the, my dad being more concerned about my uncle than, than me. So that that's huge. hurt. Like, even though I've largely disconnected from family, it's still, it still hurts to feel that abandonment. Um, and then with that, with my uncle, I was just like, okay, so I'm going to risk, you know, getting a felony or whatever for making a false report because I hate you. Like, I don't have energy or time to spend just coming up with ways to, to incriminate or, you know, um, uh, accuse somebody because I hate them. Yeah, that's, it's just, like, the the fact that your dad's like, oh, my poor old brother, he needs to be protected, and it's like, screw my daughter, and to feel that Mm -hmm. abandonment all over again, even though you had, like, you would, at this point, it sounds like you'd worked through some of it, or at least had been working on it, and then for it to almost be, start all over. Yeah. Yeah, so I got the report a couple of weeks ago, and just, it was just re upsetting, re upsetting. Is that a word? Just all it's a word now. I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. So it was just upsetting in the sense that like realizing I'm still on my own in this. I mean, other than my, my husband and my kids who are obviously wonderfully supportive. And I've had a lot of friends who have just been my rocks that I've just leaned on like crazy throughout this whole thing. But just to realize, okay, my family didn't have my back back then, the family of origin, I should say, but they still don't have it even now. Even even with this thing that happened, you know, 37 years ago or whatever, they still, I couldn't get one person to just corroborate not like I want him to go to jail or something like that. I'm not like that kind of vindictive. I didn't want anybody else to be hurt by him. I wanted any of his other victims because you know I wasn't the first or the last. Um, it's so true. I mean, that's just statistics. We don't just, yeah, I, that's terrible. But I didn't, I wanted them to also have space if they needed to come forward or to know that they weren't alone. Um, and that's just one thing that's so massively important to me, whoever the victims are. I mean, obviously my, my big passion is with sexual assault, sexual, child, sexual abuse survivors, um, and things like that. But I think just realizing you're not alone. Um, there are others. I mean, statistic, the statistics on child sexual abuse are horrible. And so, you know, there's just so many people walking around who look like they're just fine, but on the inside, 
they're probably carrying some super heavy burden of, yeah. of abuse or, you know, whatever else they might be having in their life. But um, I just think realizing through the, you know, support group or the therapy group I went to and the retreat I went to, just finding all of these other now adult women who were abused as children and hearing their stories and like, Oh yeah, I feel that way too. And just understanding that not only am I not alone, but there are people who totally understand exactly what I've been going through and dealing with and realizing that my reactions are normal. Yeah. You're, they are. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a good thing to realize. And I don't think, when you're not in this field and you're remembering these types of things and remembering the abuse to be told that you're normal is powerful. Yeah. It's a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. Yes. So if you, you've shared this amazing story of survival um, and healing from trauma and dedicating your life to helping other victims if there was one thing you could tell to someone who is remembering childhood abuse, who is going through the same story, like the same path that you went through, what would you tell them? It's not your fault. You're not alone. You are still lovable. You are still worthy needed and there is hope there is hope there is healing and things will get better it might not ever go away because let's be realistic but you Mm -hmm. keep working things do get better the triggers become less the burden of the abuse becomes less and I would say you know if you haven't already Find someone that you can share your story with, because when you share that with somebody that you trust and you know is safe to share your story with, that burden becomes lessened. I like that. I like that sharing your story and finding safety in that it's less on your shoulders, because I do think that's true, because that's like a big, deep thing. Like, I don't want to say secret, but like big, deep internal battle and being able to let it go and trust someone and them to tell you they believe you and you're safe is powerful. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. We really appreciate it. I I know that it cannot be easy ever to have to tell it. more than appreciate like triple appreciate and you are an amazing human and i love that you are Yes. Thank you. It means a lot to us. I think we're both very passionate about it and it, hearing people that like it makes it. So we want to keep going. Good. 
So glad you could join us this week and be with us as this survivor has opened up their heart and story in the hope that it may inspire someone. Information about this week's interview can be found on our website, utahsurvivors.org. Trauma creates change you don't choose. Healing is about creating the change you do choose. This program is supported in part by grant number 18W2025 from the Utah Office for Victims of Crime, awarded by the Office on Violence Against Women. The opinions, findings, conclusions, and recommendations expressed in this program are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Office on Violence Against Women, the U.S. Department of Justice, or the Utah Office for Victims of Crime. Our theme song is DNA by Najee featuring Amber Lynn.